0: you are listening to the mzbc students greenhouse podcast for more information about mount zion baptist church go to mzbc.net slash students or follow us on twitter and instagram at mzbc students cool so we are now on week four of this series the story uh, as we continue this journey, we've started at the very beginning, which is kind of where you usually start unless you're, uh, you know, watching Star Wars or something. Uh, and they start like right in the middle of the story randomly, not sure why. But with this, we started right at the beginning and worked our way, uh, and worked our way through a few thousand years uh, at this point. Starting back at creation, seeing that God created everything, created a good world, created us to rule over and be his representatives in this world. As, uh, and then we chose to define good and evil for ourselves instead of trusting his own definition of that. And then we fast forward and uh, can, saw the promise made to Abraham that uh, God would make from him a great nation and would, would make his, Abraham's name great, not because Abraham was awesome, but through him God was going to work through him and show the world who he, God, was and the way he loves us and that kind of thing and all of this continues to spiral out of control because humanity has chosen over and over and over again to define good and evil for themselves instead of trusting god's definition of good and evil good and evil and then in judges last week we'll we'll put up this uh, graphic again we see this cycle in the nation of israel you have these judges um the nation sins they worship false idols and those kinds of things then oppression comes there's the canaanites there's different things and we'll see a different kind of level of that tonight as we walk through the rest of the old testament there's oppression the people finally realize what they've done they repent they ask for forgiveness god hears them and one of the things we talked about was no matter how far gone we are god hears us when we cry out to him and seek repentance and seek his face he always hears us and then he brings deliverance in, this, in Judges, it was by bringing an actual judge, uh, someone uh, like a military or like tribal leader forward to defeat enemy, uh, the enemies. There would be a time of peace, but it was this cycle that would continue over and over and over again and would just spiral down and down and down and down. And then when we came to uh, the end of Judges, and Judges uh, chapter 21, verse 25 will be on the screen for you. Uh, you don't have to turn there. It says this phrase. In those days... There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I mean, what could go wrong, right? Like, if everybody just does whatever they want, like, seems pretty cool, right? Yeah? You guys awake? Hello? Yeah? yeah. Cool? Yeah, good. All right. You're right. Like, someone in the back like, yeah, I'm here. Good. Awesome. So, yeah, I mean, like, obviously... Like, even though we in America, we love freedom, you can't tell me what to do, I have liberty, I get to say what I want, do what I want, but you even know within that, like, there's still some, like, common courtesy that needs to be shown, you can't just, like, do whatever you want, because, like, if what you want to do is, like, murder everyone, that's not cool, right? Like, you just can't do that, um, or you shouldn't do that, I guess, um, and that kind of thing. That's probably a really bad example. Uh shows you where my mind goes. I r- watch the wrong kind of TV, I guess. I don't know. Um, anyway. Uh, so I mean, we see that if everyone is just doing what is right in their own eyes, chaos just ensues, right? Just everything continues to just spiral further and further out of control. And then uh, as we as we continue in the story, though, from uh, out of Judges, um, you go through this book called Ruth, which is a really good book you should read. And then we get into First uh, and Second Samuel. So this guy named Samuel enters the scene, and he. Is this kind of interesting mix of prophet, priest, and judge kind of all at the same time Uh, you you start to see this shift in the culture of the nation of Israel uh, with with Samuel and he's a good dude the problem comes that he doesn't actually teach his sons to be good dudes and so whenever Samuel gets old and he can't really do the job that he was doing before, he starts to pass it off to his sons and his, his son's they sit right. They're they're like terrible. They don't like honor God at all. They don't point the people toward God. They just kind of do whatever they want to do. And, uh, and Samuel's kind of like the head guy of Israel at this point, but they don't really have a king. They're still at that point. And so, turn to First Samuel chapter eight. And we're going to read a little bit here. First Samuel. I usually mark my Bible. I didn't, so I got to actually Bible drill this thing. Here we go. Samuel eight. starting in verse one. It's going to be on the screen too, but if you have a Bible or a app, Bible app on your phone, it's better for you to be able to see it for yourself. First um, Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And so, uh, yeah, we'll just read. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. And the name of his second, yep, they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside After game, so like they didn't follow Samuel's way. They decided to do whatever was going to get them the most, make them uh, look awesome, or get whatever they wanted. That kind of things. Anyway, they took bribes and perverted justice. Verse four. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, "Behold, you are old." It's a good way to start the conversation. Hey, you're old. (laughs) He's like, "Oh, am I?" Right. Uh, Anyway, behold. You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us, like all the nations. And this is where it gets really important for you to really pay attention. Okay, but the thing, uh, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, "Give us a king to judge us." And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, "Listen, obey the voice of the people." And all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And so, as, as things start to shift, the people really want a king, they start they see that other nations around them have kings, uh, and it seems to be okay at least from their perspective uh, to have a king and that sort of thing and they see that if the next set of judges is Samuel's sons who are jerks, right like that's not a good option and so I can't, if i'm being honest like I'm just going to step into honest JJ mode, like I, I kind of get their perspective a little bit right I mean like you don't want these guys who are corrupt and take bribes and all these kinds of things to be your leaders and also if you think about your own life for a minute have you ever so god is supposed to be their king like the way god has set this up is he's the one in charge and then the judges and the prophets and these guys are the ones that god calls out to lead the people but god's ultimately the one in charge right have you ever had a moment, and you don't, this is not like raise your hand or like nod your head or anything like that, but have you ever had a moment where you're like, man, I really wish that God would just like speak to me directly right now. Like I wish he would just like show up physically in front of me, tell me what to do. Like those of you who are trying to figure out like what your like life is about to be, like what do, what do I do with my life? I'm supposed to become a responsible adult, but I don't know what that means, right? Like you're like, Jesus, would you just like show up and like tell me which college to go to? My parents really want me to go to this one. That's cool, I guess, but that's not really what I want to do, right? I have this hair. Oh, sorry. It's probably my beard. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Uh, I say that to Jesus sometimes too in praying. I'm like, oh, i got this hair. Anyway, uh, no. I mean, have you ever had that moment where you just really wanted Jesus to show up physically in front of you, right? Like, so I kind of I get it. They're like, okay, like, God's supposed to be our king, but he speaks to these people, and it looks like the people who are about to take over, they're, they're not good. So, but what they don't realize is like God had raised up different judges there was not like this family uh, succession thing going on necessarily with the judges so they lost sight of a lot of things but in some on some level i kind of get their their desire to have this king to unite them and they don't have to worry about these judges and all that kind of stuff so i, I mean i kind of get it but at the same time they're literally rejecting the god of the universe as their king that's kind of a big deal, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of a big deal. So anyway, the, the story goes on, and then finally they, uh, they find this guy named Saul. And the thing that's interesting about Saul is uh, apparently uh, he's huge and handsome. He's like, I mean, the way it, it describes him, he's like giant supermodel, Right? I remember I remember the first time actually the only time I've ever gotten to go to an NBA game when I lived in Dallas uh I got to sit courtside at uh, Mavericks game and I was sitting at the point where they came in I it was a humble brag for a second there and then uh they come in yeah and you go to like high five them but you you don't realize when you just like watch tv that they're like giant right and so when I like I'm 6'1 and so like when I high five most of you I like have to do this I can't do this right and so I'm like trying to like high five, Dirk Nowinski or whatever that guy's name was. Uh, Anyway, because he's like a literal giant. So this, it says that that Saul is literally head and shoulders taller than everyone else around him. And he's handsome. Dang it, man, come on. And he's really strong. Gosh, okay, fine. And he's like an awesome warrior. And you're like, okay, you got it all. I get it. Cool, dude. Yes, you can be king. Fine. Obviously you're the dominant male here be the king right uh, and so they make him king and everything's cool at first everything's cool at first everything's going well people are like, yeah this is the best decision we ever made this is awesome but then this this little puny little shepherd boy David enters the scene and it, there's this interesting story of how God decide like God decides tells Samuel uh, or I'm not even gonna say it because I, I think I got part of that sort of mixed up. Anyway, he, he, God decides who the next king's going to be, who He's passing His anointing onto, and it's going to be David. But the interesting way He does this is He said He tells He says, "Hey, you're going to go to this family, the you know the sons of Jesse. is going to be one of those guys. So you go. They line up all these sons of Jesse. David is the is the young one. He's out. He's not the youngest, but he's one of the younger ones. He's out tending the sheep because they just assume it's going to be one of the older boys who are." Stronger, more handsome, got more of a whole package kind of deal. Um, and uh, they show up and the guy's like, no, God's not saying it's any of these people. Do you have anybody else? I'm like, well, there's this one kid, David, but surely it's not him. Like, he's, he's just a kid. He's not that great. Uh, this is the JJ version of the story, okay? Uh, but that's basically, like, yeah, he's not that great. I don't know why you would choose him, but sure, we can bring him in. And he comes in and God says, yep, that's the man. That's, that's who's going to be the next king of Israel. And even in this choosing, you start to really see the heart of God. Because the first king of Israel had God's blessing, but ultimately was chosen by the people. And they picked who most of us, by earthly, worldly standards, would choose. The guy who seems like he's got it all going on, he knows what's up, he's strong, he can fight, he can lead the army, he can do all these things. By worldly standards, he's got the whole package, Right? Then, but God chooses David, chooses really kind of the least likely person that we humans would see from the, on the outside to choose. Because this is, is when you really start to see that God looks past the physical appearance and into the heart of man. He starts to see, you start to see that God really measures what we're made of. And our faith and trust in him, our desire to follow him more so than any of the stuff that we all tend to care about on a daily basis. The way we look, the things we wear, and all that kind of stuff. Um, This is where you really start to see this heart of God, which is, is really cool. And so in this, word gets to Saul that God has chosen David to be the next king, which is interesting because in the nations around, often kind of like you would think of today, it's passed through family bloodlines, right? So Saul hears this, everything's going well until this moment, and then all of a sudden, in jealousy and in anger, everything goes south for Saul and his kingdom at first, he's cool with David. He brings David in. David gets to hang out in the palace. He becomes best friends with uh, Saul's son, Jonathan. They have this like super tight bromance thing going on. It's awesome. Uh, they're like, they're like best friends, like as tight as can be best friends. And, uh, but then Saul can't control himself anymore. He's so filled with jealousy and anger and frustration that God is literally, God pulls his anointing from Saul because Saul is so far. He's walked so far from God and not turning around. He's continuing to just walk the opposite direction of God. And so at some point God just, he says, look, man, you can keep going if you want, but I really would prefer, you know, you turn around, but he doesn't. So God lifts his anointing. And then Saul literally tries to have David killed. Multiple times. At one point, David is like on the run. He's hiding in the caves and uh, around Israel and that kind of thing, running from Saul because Saul is trying to kill him. I won't go into all the detail of how that happens. Eventually, David does become king. And, and the reason uh, we're going to focus on David for a little bit, and the reason is, is a couple of different things. One, he's said to be the greatest king in all of Israeli history. He's like the guy. Everybody points to, he's the man. So he's like one of the Key biblical um, heroes of the Old Testament. Also, his life is a prime example. The cycle that we saw earlier in Judges—that the nation, the whole nation would go through the sin, oppression, repentance, rescue, and then peace—right in his life, we start to see that that's also on an individual level. That it, on the on our individual level, we all happen to follow that same cycle whether we like it or not we sin often we let that sin control us when we finally realize that we've sinned hopefully we repent god brings rescue then there's peace right but this cycle can just happen so we see that in uh, david's story one of one of my favorite things about david this phrase the bible says that david was a man after god's own heart Gosh, I wish so much that that would be said of me. I don't know about you, but like that's—I feel like that's one of the coolest things that could be said of any person ever. That you're a person after God's own heart. How do you? How do you get that kind of title? Uh, you know, maybe it's maybe it's having faith and trusting God so much that at the age of around seventeen, you willingly run into a battle with a sling and some smooth stones and kill a nine-foot, nine-inch tall giant, literally, right? I mean, you got that kind of faith and trust in God. Like, you probably, it's cool if you're called, like, a man after God's own heart, you know? Maybe it's that he loved the presence of God so much that whenever the nation of Israel recovered the Ark of the Covenant at that point in, in, uh, in biblical history, that's where the presence of the Lord was. Maybe he loved the presence of the Lord so much that he danced to a point that, it says that he was, he was actually in the eyes of the people around him. He was kind of undignified, but God loved it because David was completely and solely celebrating being in the presence of God. I know we're Baptists, so it's kind of like if I talk about dancing, the people who've been around, you've been in Baptist your whole life, you're like, ooh, we not supposed to do that. Right? Uh, David did it. It's fine. Uh, I don't do it just because I can't dance. Anyway, um, that's not a story. So um, he's a man after God's own heart. Those are just a couple of examples. That I think kind of show maybe that's if you're if you're like that, then yeah, you can have that said about you, but those of you who know this story in the life of David, you also know that in his life David was guilty of adultery, he was guilty of murder, he literally <laughs> He ended up sleeping with one of his top soldiers. He ended up sleeping with his his top soldier's wife. Then, when she came up pregnant, he had the soldier killed so that he could then take that soldier's wife as his own. So then I come back to, okay, cool. I get that at 17, you went out and, like, killed a giant. I wouldn't do that. I would just stay in the corner probably pee myself. Like, I get it. But also, you just, like, stole some dude's wife and killed it. Like, Why do you get to be called a man after God's own heart if you're literally guilty of adultery and murder? I've asked myself that a lot. You know, why does he get to do that? And in this story, as it it goes on, um, there's this guy, Nathan, enters. So right after um, David takes Bathsheba as his wife, um, this guy, Nathan, who's a prophet, Enters the story, and so we see we start to see full full fledged kind of what prophets are and, and that kind of thing. And so prophets are these these people who get to hear they hear directly from God, and then they get to be the mouthpiece of God, speaking God's message to the nation of Israel and anybody else that God calls them to to do that. That even means standing before the king and calling out the king. Doesn't always work out real great for the prophets and the retaining of their heads, but that's their job, right? That's her job. That was a joke, but also a real thing. Anyway, uh, so Nathan stands before David, the king, and calls him out. He tells this story. I won't get into the story. He tells this story, and the end of it, uh, he, he asks this question to David. Uh, there was this story of, uh, of corruption, basically. And he says to David, so what would you do? to the person who is guilty in this story. And David says, well, that person's guilty. I mean, like they deserve death. He like goes real hardcore about that. And then Nathan looks at him and says, that person's you. So Nathan stands before King David, calls him out, calls out his sin. That everybody around clearly, anybody who was in David's inner circle knew what was going on. Like it's pretty obvious. But Nathan is the one who gets to stand up and tell David, no, you're you're the one in the wrong here. You've sinned. Right, and immediately David falls on his face and begins to repent of his sin, and this is where I think really comes down to why David was considered a man after god 's own heart, because over and over and over again you, you'll, you would see in the life of David these moments of sin, none nearly as like outwardly consequential as. Uh, adultery, and murder, but you would see these moments of sin, these moments of darkness, and once he realizes what he's done and where he is, he repents. I want to talk about this word repentance a little bit. I think we have heard this word a lot, um, but I don't know that we, I don't know that we all fully understand this word repentance. Okay, so imagine if this has happened to you, and I'm like bringing up memories. I'm sorry, but uh, if imagine you're in your house and it catches on fire, okay terrible thing to think about but in that moment are you going to sit there and be like yeah it's cool i'll sit here it's fine everything's gonna be fine it's all good i've got this under control i'm good like firewoman anna's like busting in the door to like come rescue you and you're like it's cool no i'm good i'm just gonna stay right here uh things are good here right i mean like that's absurd right like absolutely ridiculously absurd that you would think to do that. No, what you're going to do is you're going to try and get out of there as fast as you can, probably grabbing a little fluffy and going with you, right? Like and you're going to get out as fast as you can and I, and like just Forrest Gump, keep running, right? Like you're just, I don't know if you'll stop, right? You're just going to keep running. You're going to you're you're run as fast as hard as you can away from the danger. You see, the thing is, I think we often forget how dangerous and deadly our sin is. And we sit in the middle of our sin And we go, no, it's good. I got this under control. Maybe a friend says like, hey, I see, you know, something's going on here. Love you. But like, you know, what's, you know, what's up? And you're like, no, it's good. I got this. It's all good, right? Um, And we forget how damaging our sin is. Just like fire, it consumes and breaks down everything around it. And before you know it, your life can be just ashes on the ground around you because of our sin, because we don't as often or as quickly as we should just run from our sin. And so that's that's what repentance is. It's not this like, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. And then like, you just kind of go about your life and that's kind of it. No, it's a literal turning, like the imagery used with this word is a literal turning your back on whatever that thing is and running the opposite direction. Now, I know we all have these these rhythms and things that we struggle with and a sin that we might come back to Naturally, But true repentance is still a turning and running as hard as you can. It might try to draw you back in, but true repentance always leads to actually turning your back and running the opposite direction, whatever that sin is. And that's where we find David at this moment when uh, Nathan uh, calls him out. And then over and over and over again, you see it in the Psalms, the songs that he writes a lot. Some of uh, several of them are lament songs where he's seeking the face of God and repenting of these sins and and you see that his heart and his desire is to do the right thing is to follow God to the point that he turns his back on that repents and runs the opposite direction that's what made David a man after God's own heart he understood his understanding of his own failures and quickly seeking rescue From the right place, not the people around him, not in his music, not in anything else except for the Lord. He sought God and God only and first. And it's awesome to see this because we saw in Judges in this cycle, no matter how far gone the nation of Israel had gotten, whenever they actually genuinely cried out to God, he brought rescue. The same is true of David's life, and so that must mean that it's true. For you and I who have chosen to follow Jesus, no matter how far we have gone, no matter how messed up things are, no matter how broken things are, in those moments, we cry out to God, he's there to rescue. He's there to bring about salvation. Um, As the story continues, David um, passes on uh, the kingdom to his son Solomon. And so then it begins to... Uh, become this sort of family deal. And this is important because the, the coming Messiah that will come at some point down the road, the promised wounded victor we heard about all the way in the first few chapters of Genesis is supposed to come from the line of David. He's supposed to be a descendant of David. And so you start to see this this pass down, but quickly it spirals out of control. So you have Solomon who's next, who's supposed to be one of the wisest men to have ever lived, but he also loved to party a whole lot. Uh, dude was like full crazy in a lot of ways, then as it continues to go generation after generation of David's family, the, the kingdoms actually split into, into the north and the south and things just spiral and spiral and spiral out of control again toward violence and corruption just like it always has since the moment Adam and Eve first sinned. In these uh, times you have these prophets who come like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Um, you have all these prophets who come and they're telling the people, hey, you need to turn, you need to not follow this false God, you need to not follow this nation, whatever they try they say, like this is a mess from God, you gotta follow God, not these things. But the people continually go the wrong way. And you and you see this happen until finally exile happens. The nation of Babylon comes in, takes over Israel, actually takes most of the Israelites. There's a few what's called the remnant left in Israel, and, but everybody else has to go to the, uh, the city of Babylon and work as slaves. They, uh, and so, in this time, you have prophets that are in that part as well. Parts that are uh, some that are in the remnant, uh, and, this, and the story just continues to spin out of control. Finally, God does bring about rescue, and the people are brought back to are brought back to uh, their homeland. And then the book ends with this prophecy. Uh, of malachi and the last few words are just a promise that god will eventually turn the hearts of his people back toward him back toward their fathers and back toward all of these things and then silence these last few words from god and then there's 400 years of silence god doesn't speak through any more prophets there is no more word from the lord 400 years and that's where we'll pick up the story next week um as the band comes back up I, I, to sing this last song i want to circle back around i want you to put up your stuff real quick and i want us to spend a moment in reflection put your stuff up real quick close your eyes just you not touching the people around you not messing with your stuff anymore thinking about the life of david and, the, and what we see is true of the heart of god and his desire to be in relationship with us and to bring rescue. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, you've you've placed your faith and your belief in Jesus, but you've stepped away from God. Take time during this next song to get back connected with Him. Repent of that sin. Turn, seek truly seek God's face. Follow David's example and run to the Father. Arms lifted high, like a child who wants to be picked up by their parent. Seek God. And he will reveal himself to you. And if you're here and you've not placed your faith in Jesus tonight, is it night you can do that? Because ultimately the wages of our sin is eternal spiritual death and separation from God in a place called hell. But we can be rescued from that because Jesus, who we'll hear about next week, but Jesus gave his life, became this ultimate sacrifice for us. And all we have to do is believe in him. You can do that now and go talk to an adult leader during this next song, during small groups, or even after that Let me pray and we'll move on. Father, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you that your heart for us is to seek rescue. That you, though we don't deserve it, continually forgive us and show grace and mercy to us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move in this place now. Convict hearts, turning hearts back to you. Those who have not accepted you for the first time, that they would do that here in this moment. Christ, my prayer. Amen. Let's stand.